the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I need the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? You've been given a new chance, a new life, a new fresh perspective, another opportunity, a new beginning. That's why Jesus, who started all this, would say, you've been born again. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. with a simple question does it mean anything the term Christian does it mean anything anymore or is it just cultural is it just a familial designation I'll never forget in 2008 when my eyes were open to how much of the world views their faith origin. When I visited in Jordan and and began to understand that in the Middle East, the ID card or the driver's license not only had the eye color and your height and perhaps your weight, but it designated whether you were born in a Christian or Jewish or Islamic family. See, for much of the world, faith is a cultural designation. For some, it's just a religious designation. So it's about what you do. It's about where you go to a church. It's about your rituals. Is that what this word is meant to be? Or is it about a testimony? Is it about transformation? I don't know how many of you are on social media. It may or may not be a good thing, depending on your tendencies in life. I spent a little bit of time primarily on Twitter, sometime on Facebook and Instagram, but last night on Twitter, this was trending, fake Christian. Isn't it interesting that the world is always looking to point out the inadequacies, the shortcomings, the falsehood of those of us who profess faith in Christ? And the truth is that could be leveled at me. There are times in my life where I have been a fake Christian. There are times in my life when I faked it, and this pastor needs to admit to you there are probably many more times when I felt like faking it. Like the story you've heard before, because I've told it, of the pastor. He was in bed asleep, and his mama came to him and said, son, you got to get up and go to church. He said, I don't want to go to church. She said, you got to go to church. He said, I don't feel like going to church. She said, you got to go to church. He said, the people there don't like me. I don't like them. I don't want to go to church. She said, son, you're the pastor. You have to go to church. Sometimes you fake it. But the truth is, when we fall short, it always gets the attention. And we're called hypocrites, and we're called fakes, and we're called counterfeits. And the reality is that the accusation of hypocrisy demands 
an admission that there really is a real thing. And so every time we hear that ascribed to us or someone else, it should be a challenge for us to be the example of that real thing, to be the Christ follower that reflects Jesus in our society. And that brings us to the big idea I want you to get today. Authentic Christians always stand out in society because their lives present a clear testimony of God's amazing grace. Is your life a clear testimony of the amazing grace of God. Do you stand out or do you blend in? The people in your little corner of the world think of you as a Christian. Are you authentic? My pastor friend Dean and Sarah, he's in Tallahassee at City Church. He recently wrote a book called The Unsaved Christian and in it he confronts this idea of cultural Christianity that's rampant. In our society today, he talks about how as a middle school student, he first understood that you may have grown up in a good home where your parents took you to church. You may say grace over every meal. You may even try to do the right things and believe in God, but have never trusted in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You may not be saved. That has to be part of the reason why... The world becomes consumed with hypocrisy and fake Christians because we're not doing a great job at showing them the real thing. And in Acts chapter 11, we see that the Christian term means something. That designation has impact. It has meaning behind it. And we're going to see the first time it's expressed in all of the Bible. Now let me remind you where we've been in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, Jesus went up, he ascended, the Holy Spirit came down, he descended. The disciples, they went out into the world and God began to move. Lost people came in and the church was born and when the church was born, persecution arose. And the whole rest of the New Testament is about that. This conflict of what takes place when authentic Christianity collides with a world whose natural tendency is to reject the things of God and the message of Jesus Christ. And so we see stories like Stephen, that deacon who is persecuted for his faith, by people like Saul. And then we see his story, how he in Acts chapter 9 is confronted by Jesus and as a result becomes a follower of Jesus Christ. But throughout the book of Acts and throughout the New Testament, we see this concept of persecution, the fact that The way it's designed to be, the Christian life is so different that when you stand up and stand out, you will face difficulty. That's why every day I can remember it until it breaks and then I get another one. I wear this little rubber band that looks like barbed wire that reminds me that I am one with my brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted for their faith. Yesterday morning. I sat with one of the men in our church who's going to his home country, Nigeria. We have another family this weekend that went to Nigeria. Nigeria is now number one in the places where Christians are persecuted around the world because of Boko Haram and radical Islamic extremists who are seeking out in their declared goal to put out Christianity from that country. You see, when I'm willing to stand out for my faith, I may fake persecution. And that's what was taking place in the book of Acts. It took place more and more as the message of the gospel got out. That's what happened in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, we see a dividing line 
Because that's when we see that the Christian faith was not intended to be just cultural. That it's not intended to be familial. It's not about where you were born or whose family you were born into. Because in Acts chapter 10, we learn an important truth. Everybody, everywhere can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want you just to say that sentence with me. Say it. Everybody, everywhere can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to know that. You need to understand that because if you believe that, it changes the way you live. Some of us who profess to have a relationship with Jesus live as if we don't believe that. We live as if the people around us can't know God or either we don't want them to. Well, in Acts chapter 10, we learn that because of a great story. We see the story of Cornelius and Peter. Cornelius is a man of great passion. In fact, he's a man who believed in God He knew he needed God, and he knew he didn't have God. He was a passionate man, and he began to pursue whatever it would take so that he could learn how to have a relationship with God. And as a result of Cornelius' passion, God gave a man named Peter, who we've already met, a vision. And Peter had this crazy vision that he didn't understand at first, this vision that showed animals that were clean and that were unclean. And and God used that to remind Peter that Jesus had changed things need to remind you that today Jesus changes everything you see it's Jesus that gives us that understanding that this is not about a religion it's about a relationship and so some of these rules some of these laws that have been so important and so we're still important to folks like Peter Jesus was saying hey no I I don't want you to get caught up on that because if you get caught up on that then the message of the gospel the good news The whole reason I came, it won't get to everybody because everybody doesn't have your same cultural and familial understanding and preferences and background. And so Peter goes and shares Christ with Cornelius. Listen to what happens in Acts chapter 10 and verse 34. It says, Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, say every nation. But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right and acceptable to him. So the truth is, God lets us know here in Acts chapter 10 that the the playing field is changing. This is not just a Jewish Messiah that has come. But this is one that is for every nation. Aren't you grateful that the message of the gospel is for everybody everywhere? That's why we have to do what it takes to get that message out. Even last week, we had a sweet time with our deacons, a great time of prayer and communion. But as we were praying together, one of our deacons said, please pray for my wife's family. Her mother and her father and her brother are still in the Islamic faith. And some of us, we get caught up in our culture and and we forget that you don't have to travel around the world to know that there are people right in our little corner of the world that need the good news of Jesus Christ, that need the comfort that God cares about everyone. So Cornelius, this guy was not unlike the Ethiopian eunuch. He knew there was a God. He knew he needed God. He knew he didn't have God. In many ways, he was like John Wesley. You've heard of his name, the founder of the Methodist church, Methodism. He was a religious man, a church member, a pastor, a son of a pastor. Kind of hits close to home when I hear his story. He went to Oxford and was part of a religious group whose sole purpose was to perfect holiness in their lives. He traveled the world speaking 
as a missionary to people around the world, telling them about the gospel. And yet, when his head would hit the pillow in the evenings, he would confess that he had no assurance of his own salvation. So on May 24, 1738, he was attending a meeting with a group of Moravian Christ followers in London where someone was just simply reading a commentary of the book of Romans from Martin Luther. And this is what John Wesley says in his diary. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Jesus Christ, I felt my heart strangely warm. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. It's a ministry intended to encourage, equip, and empower you. You may not know this, but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you. We are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. It's interesting. I believe God changes you in a moment. That's why he describes it as being born again. It's no mistake that John Wesley remembers the time that it took place. Now, some of us, if this happened as a child, we may not remember that exact time. But some of you do. You remember where you were and exactly what happened when Jesus Christ encountered you and changed your life. He said he felt strangely warmed. Like the story of our very own Dr. Jim Stock, who was an active church member and a deacon. And he sang in the choir and he taught Sunday school. And he led evangelism teams until he sat in a service, not unlike this. And he began to realize through the conviction of the Holy Spirit that though he had done all of those religious things, he had never truly surrendered himself into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And I would tell you that it's likely that some of you are in that category today. You're the unsaved Christian. You're that person who bears the name, but you've not possessed the one who changes everything. Well, we see in Cornelius' life, when he began a relationship with Jesus, everything changed, but it also changed for everyone around him. Because it began to be clear that everyone everywhere could have a relationship with Jesus. And so Paul would sum it up this way in Romans chapter 10. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone, say everyone. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. I want you to understand, if you believe the scripture, you have to understand that anyone and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. Acts chapter 10 records this watershed moment in history when the Christian church begins to recognize that everybody everywhere needs the gospel. See, some of us today, I need, I need you to, I, I've got to drill this in because some of you still misunderstand this. You think of people that are growing up in India or growing up in Asia or, or they're growing up in the Middle East and, and you think it's okay because somebody has brainwashed you to understand that we're all crying out to the same God and it's just wherever you were born and the kind of relationship you understood it to. I, I just need you to know that's not biblical because that's the same thing the Jews had to wrestle through before they could understand that the message of Christ, the message of the Messiah, really was for everybody, that everybody needed Jesus. 
And so a movement began to break out. I want to see a movement of God. I want to see something take place that's so clear that God's up to something that you can say, I don't know what happened except God. I don't know what orchestrated this but God. I don't know how this could be taking place. And yet God works through us. Well, when that happens, guess what else happens? When God begins to move, the enemy wakes up. Jesus crushed his head under his heel, but he forgets it. And so he tries to stir up trouble. You've seen that in your personal life. Maybe you've been in a church where you've seen the enemy try to stir up trouble. He always does it. If God wants to do a movement of his work, of his power, of his might, the enemy will wake up and begin to move as well. That's what happens in Acts chapter 11. It often happens among church people. Because God has this habit of doing things differently than we would have done them. I need to remind you today, God is not limited by your understanding. Neither God's power nor his presence is limited by our religious understanding. He is willing and able to do things different from what you think. But when God begins to work in ways that are different, it usually stirs up mess among the religious. We don't like it. There's skepticism and doubt and negativity. And throughout history, often it's been the people of God who are reluctant to accept and embrace God's mighty movements. Just look in recent history at how many in the church responded to Billy Graham. Some on the far left didn't like him because he was too conservative. Some on the far right didn't like him because he was too liberal. God was using him literally all around the world to see thousands and thousands and thousands of people come to Christ, and the church was speaking out against him. It's often the way it is. It's probably one of the reasons that the last words of the church are, we've never done it that way before. So that skepticism was arising among the Jewish leaders who were seeing what Peter had done when he visited with Cornelius. And so they called him in. In the words of that great theologian, Ricky Ricardo, he had some splaining to do. You're under the age of 40, go ask your parents what in the world I was talking about. Maybe under the age of 50. A movement of God always begins when individual Christ followers are awakened. The church is mobilized and cities are impacted. If a movement of God is to take place, people see what's happening. I want that. I want that in my life. I I want that in your lives. I, I want that for our church on all of our campuses. Oh, God, I want that. That's why we're asking you to save these dates. September 8th through 15th in just a couple of months, we're going to be setting aside, stopping everything else on our church calendar and and devoting ourselves to prayer and seeking the face of God in a time of revival. That's Sunday to Sunday. And truth is, you need to know, we've acknowledged in our calendaring that if God shows up and the Holy Spirit begins to move and we need to keep going, we're going to keep going. We've invited a team to come along and help us. So if if you work with children or students or if you're part of our worship team, you don't have to do that on those Sundays. They're leading out in that so that we can focus. It's not a day off for you. It's a day on for you to get on and focused with him. I want us to say yes to what God wants us to do. Watch this. We say it all the time. We say it all the time. 
yes. We say it to friends, to families, to things, to our own wants and desires. And these aren't bad things. But when's the last time that you said yes to God? The power of one person saying yes to God, surrendering their life completely to Him and His desires for their life can jumpstart love and heal broken relationships. A humble yes to God can change your life. It can change your family. It can change your church. It can even shake up entire cities. It's not complicated. It's just yes. It's obedience. It's me laying my life before a holy God and asking Him to use me. In biblical times when the people of God needed to reset, they would cancel all other activities and they would cry out to the Lord. They would gather together young and old leaders and learners and they would worship God with a passionate abandon. Coming together to repent and to seek a new beginning. To pray together, drawing near to God, a God that loves them. And right now, that is what the church needs. Life Action desires to come alongside your church and put the spotlight on Jesus again. Seeking Him, worshiping Him, listening to Him, and together responding to His Spirit. We've been doing this for over four decades, and we've seen the redeeming power of God in His people and in His church. Our mission is to inspire your next yes to God and to help you lead your church into a culture of saying yes. It's time for a reset. It's time to say yes to God. How do we experience that? How how do we live in such a way that we get in on God's movement, that we experience his reset or revival? I think it begins by understanding that there are certain things that mark us. This faith we profess means something. In scripture, there was intended to be repentance and change that took place by those who identified themselves as followers of Christ. We're living our lives marked by Christianity. See, every counterfeit has distinguishing marks. There are things you can look at that let you know that's not the real thing. And that means that every real thing, every real deal, every real follower of Christ is marked in such a way that it is noticeable. So that's true in the church, but it's true in our individual lives. Every day in my life, if I'm a Christian, I preach the gospel to myself because I recognize I need the gospel. Well, what's the gospel? The good news is we don't have to be confused about that. It's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul, the apostle, says to the church at Corinth, I remind you, brothers, of the gospel. So here it is. Let's perk up. I remind you of the gospel. I preached it to you. You received it. You stand in it. And you're being saved by it. So the gospel, one thing we see is it's going to be the source of this biblical term, salvation. Why do I need salvation? I need salvation because I'm not saved. I'm not saved because according to the Bible, not my word, Scripture's teaching, according to the Bible, I'm separated with God because of my sin. Everybody's in that same boat. That sin will one day have to be punished in a place called hell if it's left undealt with. And so I'm lost. I need saving. I need someone to do what I can't do. Like a drowning person in a pool, I need a life preserver. I need someone to save me. I need a lifeguard. So he says, you're being saved by this gospel. And if you hold fast, otherwise you believed in vain. And then he says, I delivered to you a first important what I received. And here's the gospel. Christ died for our sins, accordance with the scriptures. He was buried and he raised on the third day in accordance to the scriptures. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ died for our sins. I need to be saved. 
because I'm separated with God because of my sin, but Jesus died for my sin. I love scripture when it says that God demonstrates his love for me, that even while I'm still a sinner, Christ died for me. He died for my sins, but then it gives us this little phrase in accordance with the scripture, which means just like the Bible said he was going to. God always does what he says he's going to do. He died for my sins, and then he was buried. And see, the the truth of the gospel, the good news of the gospel, what we just celebrated in Lena's baptism on this campus was the reality that your old life is buried. Your sins are buried with Jesus. And then he was raised on the third day, just like the scripture said he would. You've been given a new chance, a new life, a new, fresh perspective. Another opportunity, a new beginning. That's why Jesus, who started all this, would say, you've been born again. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk, a.m. 570 and 910.